Hello and welcome to What A Way To Make A Living. The podcast where we talk to people working creatively about what they do for a living and why. I'm Devla O'Shea. And I'm Amelia Liuzzi. Today we're talking with Jazz O'Hara, founder of online global community, The Worldwide Tribe. We talk to Jazz about her work with displaced communities around the world and the power and complexity of storytelling. This conversation was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic. And then it's a different thing because everybody's different and yeah. the conversation's different and the whole point about this is that it is a conversation. It's mm-hmm. not just like, not like, please answer this question and then I'll ask you a direct yeah, like, exactly. journalistic follow-up. Like, that's not who we are. So yeah, just, let's do that. Just like, let's have <laughs> Do a, what you know, really right? Nice, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's just have a really nice chat. And also, I think that when I listen to podcasts, that's what I really enjoy. I enjoy those little in-between bits of, like, personality that doesn't have to be so polished. Okay, well, should we get started? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, welcome to our podcast, Thank Jazz. You. Thanks so much for chatting to us. Um, obviously, we go way back, but this is the first time that you've met Amelia. Um, so it's just really nice to, yeah, have you on here and chat to you, I guess, more about, obviously, what you do, but also just about how that um, affects you as a person, because the podcast is about kind of people, well, creative people and the work that they do and how they got there. So why don't we start by telling us about what the Worldwide Tribe is and is about for people who probably, or not probably, people who might not know. Yeah, and you know it all already, so I'll talk to you. Oh, see, I know, I know a little bit, but yeah tell, yeah, tell me. So the Worldwide Tribe is an online community, and it's a community of people that support refugees in various ways. It's grown very organically over the last five years. It started in 2015 and we run projects on the ground in refugee camps but also I have a real focus on storytelling so we try to unpick some of the negative stereotypes and stigmas that there are around refugees or asylum seekers through the power of film um, through the power of the podcast we have a podcast as well and um, stories online writing images things like that so creative ways of yeah getting the message out there yeah and really trying to uh yeah i guess counteract some of the fear-based narrative that there is in the media Mm. at the moment and so that's something that you started in 2015 2015 coming up to five years which is madness i can't believe it's been five years yeah yeah who would have thought that five years later like this is still what i'd be doing and we were just talking about this before that i was working in fashion before that and i never thought that yeah, this would be the path that I would take. I didn't know anything about refugees at that time. So tell us a bit about the beginning. The beginning, yeah, it was overwhelming. So right at the beginning, um, I guess the trigger for starting this was uh, my mum and dad. Basically, they were going through the process of looking into adopting or fostering another child. Um, My youngest biological brother at the time had just turned 18 and they were really ready to, yeah, to, they they weren't ready to have an empty house basically. So they were looking into that and it looked very likely that my new brother or sister might be coming, might be a refugee because I lived in Kent 
and there were a lot of people, um, a lot of kids arriving to Kent at that time. And yeah, as they got further and further down the line, it became clear that it would probably be a refugee because they were open to taking on an older child, they were open to taking on a boy, they were open to taking on a child that didn't speak English. And a lot of people kind of don't want that. So they ticked those boxes and it looks like that's what it would be. That's so great of them to do that. Yeah, it was yeah. a cool thing that we were all Why, why did they want to do that? I think they were just scared of like empty nest syndrome. They were like, they'd always had a house full. We were four already and they were like, right, we need to, they, Derv knows it was always a house that like people were coming and going and like I think their fear of having <laughs> no kids around like really, really kind of drove them to be like, okay, we're not ready for that yet. That's and great. yeah, the funny thing is that they were scared of having no kids at home because we'd moved out. Me and my oldest brother, Nils, um, had moved out. My sister was at uni. And then me and my brother moved back as soon as my new brother came. So they suddenly had a house full, so it didn't really ever happen. They still got a house full like five years down the line. But yeah, so anyway, I, I had this personal interest in what was happening in Calais um, and the refugee crisis. But I felt like the questions that I had really weren't being answered by the mainstream media. There was a lot of kind of, yes, yeah, fear mongering, I think, and negative wording used. Um, and I remember this time, actually, um, that my mum had gone to the bank and she had come home upset because she'd heard this conversation in front of her about... Calais and the refugees there and these two women in front of her were saying things like um, oh they're all running around with knives and you know it's dangerous and um, the, yeah they had this kind of very um, yeah I guess the only word I can use for it really is like a negative opinion of like these people especially that were hoping to arrive to the UK so um, yeah, she felt that that just didn't represent the kids that we were hearing about arriving. And very soon after that, my little brother, Mez, did arrive to England. He's an Eritrean refugee. And yeah, he was really the trigger for the Worldwide Tribe. So what happened was I wanted to find out more about what was actually happening in Calais. Couldn't find those answers in the newspapers or my research online went to Calais and that's really was the start of the Worldwide Tribe and then went on to kind of change the course and direction of my life really. Yeah. Got in yeah. a car. Got in a car, ignored all of those like you can't just go to a refugee camp kind of comments even though they were definitely playing out in my head um, but I think it was a curiosity that kind of powered that initial journey and that's what I would really kind of say to anybody listening to this that if you have a curiosity or a question or something that maybe is, you know, it starts as an interest because that's what it was for me, um, you never know where that might take you if you kind of follow it, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, got in a car, um, very naively kind of put some stuff in the boot that I thought that people might want um, or need um, some food, some blankets and coats and stuff because it was freezing um, and yeah I met people that, that first trip that told me these incredible amazing life stories that I never thought that I'd hear firsthand. Um, yeah like the world's atrocities were kind of represented in that camp I guess not just people from Syria which again in my like naive opinion at the time refugees meant Syrian refugees um, but actually there was Eritreans there was Afghans there was people from Sudan um, yeah people from all over the world 
and uh, yeah I went home that day feeling pretty kind of overwhelmed by that I'd grown up in a very much of a kind of happy bubble I guess in Kent never really been exposed to like anything like that before and also people in that camp you know very much related I, I related to them like we maybe were talking about music or we were talking about things that like you know we we um sat and ate that that day with a group of afghans that cooked us this amazing meal and yeah it was just i i felt like this real kind of lack of it just felt so unfair that i could then go back to the uk so comfortably in my car and that people in this camp were kind of yeah risking their lives to do that same journey so yeah what happened next was i wrote about it on social media um to say that i would be going again that people needed warm clothing that they needed tents sleeping bags stuff like that that they were hungry during the day and the response to that post was absolutely overwhelming that was really i guess the life-changing moment that yeah i woke up the next day to go to my job in fashion in Shoreditch and looked at my phone first thing to do in the morning um, and yeah I got a shock because it had just got this massive reach very quickly. How was it again? It was something insane. Something mad. I, I think that it was, it was like, like I think I was, watch, I was watching your TED talk today. Oh yeah so you've and heard the story like as well. <laughs> you do know. Yeah it was something and then like really millions mad. of shares or whatever. Exactly so uh, yeah and, and th- great amazing and overwhelming and I didn't really know how to deal with that because also yeah as you see on the TED talk that we got this massive response physically as well in terms of like physical donations that um, people wanted to help wanted to do something um, and they had this stuff that they wanted to give and then we were trying to coordinate this movement of people very quickly um, and getting this stuff to Calais and it was a logistical challenge it was like a producer kind of job that I was not in at the time right? their house was full oh my god <laughs> my mum and my poor mum and dad. Have you done anything like this before? No. Uh, I mean, if I think back to like me pre this happening, I guess I had always had an interest in. Um, like I, I worked for an underwear brand that produced in India, and I spent a lot of time there working with. It was an ethical underwear brand that produced fair trade, organic cotton underwear, and we worked in the villages, um, really trying to. Um, well, we were creating, it was um, organic cotton, so we were transferring the villages over to organic. Um, and yeah, I spent a lot of time in kind of rural communities in India, and I was interested in social issues around, within ethical fashion, I guess. So I kind of had a background in... Yeah, I, I guess if you look back in hindsight, there was like a bit of a progression. But no, I really was going into it very cold. Like I did not know how to kind of distribute stuff to people that needed it. And I realised very soon that that was like a serious skill that like you couldn't just turn up with a van and open the doors and be like, yeah, let's hand out some stuff. Like that didn't work in this camp. Um, and we learned that pretty quick. So um, yeah, it was a, a steep learning curve, I would say. So those early experiences and now to kind of what the Worldwide Tribe is today, how do you think, at what point did that kind of start to shift um, into what it kind of, more towards what it is now? I think that there was a really clear 
shift actually quite early on that my skills didn't lie as I say in distributing stuff in the camps or putting up tents and it also became clear that like as many tents as we could put up as many sleeping bags as we could hand out actually if you dig a little bit deeper into the reason why and you go back to you know why is this happening and like why does this camp exist at all um actually the real crux of the issue was you know people's lack of understanding and attitudes towards refugees or immigration into the uk and you know that there was millions of people like my little brother mares and like these people that were living in the camp and there was also millions of people like the women in the bank that my mum had overheard right that didn't understand the their reasoning and, and the why um and i realized that actually my skills and my expertise was best used in that storytelling element and that is I think what gains that traction from that first post is the relatability of the writing maybe that I was going in very naive that people I didn't have a background in the humanitarian sector and people could maybe relate to that um, so I continued to write and we started to make more and more films about the camp and kind of tell stories um, to really have an impact so we'd have a call to action at the end of our film so that if people were feeling something after consuming this content that they could then do something whether it was donate whether it was volunteer in the camps whether it was you know physical donations or or um, financial donations too depending on what it was that you had to give at that time there were kind of tiers and levels of how you could get involved and be a part of this online community and people seem so like, willing to give their story as well and I think it would be really interesting to hear about when we're talking about the power of storytelling your role in somebody's story and telling somebody's story and how that kind of feels it's a really good question because I really don't actually think that I've realized more and more recently how I want to play less of a part in telling people's story that actually the impact comes when people tell their own story right and I've been working more and more especially in my talks to allow and create a platform for people to tell their own story and the beautiful thing about the podcast um, is that it is exactly that that my favorite episodes are the ones where I don't say anything and people just talk and and you know I've had so many incredible stories on that podcast that I don't even need to say anything and if I was to try and tell that story it wouldn't do it justice so providing a platform for people to kind of give their own version of events and I think that that's why a lot of people are keen to do that because they feel misrepresented and they want to you know put that, put that right to have a chance to say like actually I'm not coming for jobs or benefits like there is a real reason as to why I'm here and why this situation exists do you think like um, you're, maybe this is more relevant towards the beginning but do you think it did help to kind of cut through the like um, the fact that people weren't really like listening to the stories of these people previously and then actually to have somebody who is just as you sort of describing who's just like from the UK doesn't know much about the situation who then just goes over and then comes back and tells the stories do you think at the beginning that probably 
like your role then was actually at its most crucial point? Maybe? Yeah, I think it was like a little bridge. Mm. Like I remember I went to um, this financial conference in, I think it was years ago, it was like right at the very beginning. Um, and it was in Switzerland. It was like a big fine event in finance and I was giving like a keynote speech about my experiences and kind of some of the main messages about, yeah, you know, we're all, we're all in this together, basically. And I remember feeling the responsibility of being that bridge of like, okay, I need to represent these people. I need to appeal to the people that are at this conference and somehow connect them to the people that are meeting in the camps and they literally live worlds apart and yeah. doing that is, is a really difficult thing right because you're trying to get people to step out of their own perspective and shoes and bubble and echo chamber and see things from a, a very very different perspective and sometimes it does take someone yeah that they can maybe like see themselves in a little bit more I don't know but yeah I definitely have felt that role um, at times but I'm definitely trying more and more to kind of take a step back yeah. and allow these voices to yeah be heard in their own way yeah totally it's great. It yeah. Is, like, how does it feel doing this job? If you look back at you know jobs that you had before, it definitely feels like I couldn't be doing anything else right now. Like I still feel like it's the one thing in my life ever. I guess that five years on, I still wake up every morning and I, I'm very connected to my reason why. And having my brother, I think. Um, and his story that is something that continues to push me forward because I'm like yeah there's still there's still so many kids like you in this situation so that's a real good reminder constant reminder of like okay this this problem still exists and it's probably the biggest or humanitarian crisis of our time definitely but yeah it, it feels um it has its ups and downs it's definitely yeah. difficult sometimes emotionally I've definitely gone through that especially at the beginning as well because you were living in the camps in well I Would mean I spent a lot of time there at the beginning I kind of, I didn't I wasn't living in London okay. at the time yeah. so I was living between my mum and dad's house and sharing a room with my brother yeah. and yeah and the camps and it was very quickly not just Calais but also Greece, um, we were working a lot in Lesbos. Uh, yeah, so I did spend, I did definitely form connections with people that now I look back and I think, yeah, I, I didn't have any kind of um, barrier or boundary, you know. I was very, very open and that had its effects and impact because I guess trauma you know you can take that on board on behalf of other people and yeah if you don't have anywhere to kind of put that then yeah you, it, can, it can be a lot to carry totally because I guess in a sense like your job is just not your sort of everyday job is it it's kind of like you're almost like using your creativity to like tell people's stories and how do you like attempt to switch off from that or have some sort of um, you know for example like I know that I need to be in work from half nine to half five and yeah. see tips over the boundaries but as a group person how do you like 
Yeah, I think anyone self-employed can probably relate to like how difficult that is to put your like close your laptop at the end of the day and be like, okay, that is me done because if you don't do it, then like no one else is doing it. So definitely, you have to set your own boundaries and be like, okay, I'm not going to be effective if I just carry on working, working, working until you reach burnout. Burnout is such a real thing in this sector. I saw it a lot, especially in Calais where people a lot of volunteers came and they you know it felt it felt like an emergency it felt like you were like really really needed and then when the camp was demolished and the situation changed there left a lot of people without this purpose and also having taken on a lot of yeah being exposed to things that you never thought you'd be exposed to yeah so i think that left a lot of people after that kind of chunk of time in calais feeling a little bit yeah a little bit broken um and i think that comes with kind of overexertion as well so yeah i think having boundaries is, is taken me a long time to learn um, but i'm definitely better at it now i definitely realize that i'm much more effective at doing this work if i make sure that i put those things in place and give myself what i need totally like sleep is it just <laughs> what's the how many people work at the worldwide tribe how does it work it's a good question and it's very fluid okay cool. um so i guess full-time well we have a, a various projects now so full-time i'm working I guess pretty much just me and then I have a few interns that work with me and, and people that like support in different ways okay. so yeah it's, it's a very good question because it's this kind of informal network online then there's also people running projects in different places and different camps um, and one of the projects that has kind of grown legs in its own right is a project that my brother um, now runs with three other guys so there's uh, actually four there's now five full-time members um, on that project which is our Wi-Fi project mm. so it started in the Calais jungle and we installed the first Wi-Fi network in the camp because as you guys know uh, you know internet connectivity in that situation like it is it is important people wanted to connect with their families and they wanted to have access to information about asylum claims and things like that so that was one of our main focuses at the beginning and now Jangala Wi-Fi that project um, has become a charity in its own right so that's right. another five members that work in London so yeah it's kind of an umbrella I would say for lots of different people doing different things in various locations that can kind of come together and discuss and talk um, yeah using these online platforms that we are already connected with that we kind of use yeah sometimes as a bit of a you know mindless activity um, and yeah trying to use that for something that's a bit more purpose-led What's some of your most important like ways of spreading the message at the moment, like since it's grown? Is it still quite heavily based on social media? I would say, yeah, social media has been the, the driver from the beginning, but I also love to give talks and connect with people in person um, and put on World War Tribe events like uh, film screenings and things where we can actually get people that are in the films involved to speak afterwards. So, yeah, I think there is a real value in taking the online, offline as well. Um, I think if people can be as connected as possible to the crisis whether that be you know online through a film but even better if it's like face-to-face -face meeting people 
connecting in person it's not always possible but where it is I think that's the most impactful way to kind of overcome some stereotypes that you might have basically anyone that meets mayors I think would put his face to any headline that they might hear about refugees in the future and that would then be a very different experience I was just going to say, so you guys were given the opportunity to like do a bit of a billboard campaign in London. Um, how did that come about, and has that kind of helped? Do you think like that going through that creative process is quite? You don't, I don't know. I don't know if like in the humanitarian sector, it's just like obviously there's a lot of adverts and stuff. But I felt like the way in which yours was delivered was really like unique. So maybe you tell us about it for people who probably haven't. Yeah. So the advertising campaign was for the podcast, and the, the tagline was stories about refugees, and then the word refugees was crossed out, and then underneath it just said people. And then each image was of a person that had experienced a crazy journey of their own and had been on the podcast. One of them was my little brother, Mez. Um, so all people that had, yeah, told their story and shared their story through the episodes. And then it told basically a fact about them that did relate to their journey. And then it crossed it out and it told a fact. I'm not really describing this very well. It's probably hard to yeah. visualise. Um, but then, and well, then it shared a wink fact. To your yeah. <laughs> yeah, how can we do that? And then it was lit on the right hand <laughs> yeah, side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this coming across. But basically, the idea yeah. was that it was not focusing just on the fact that they were a refugee or a migrant or whatever word you want to use. And that underneath all of those labels and stereotypes and stigmas and whatever, it's a human being, yeah. basically. Um, so that was was the premise of the campaign and it was really interesting because as a creative process I, I loved it was an amazing experience to get those three people like in a studio modeling which was yeah. a, the process of it was really amazing and I loved putting together the campaign and that kind of stuff I really really enjoy it's trying to create as much impact with a, with a message um, but how many people actually look at billboards and then like use it to kind of type in a podcast name on their phone I don't know and I can't say that I saw like a massive spike in the listeners to the podcast but I'm hoping that more than that it's just like getting into people's subconscious totally. somewhere deep in their minds like they're starting to retell this story in their brain and that's enough for me I think knowing that those faces are all around central London is enough of an impact um, but I'm sure in advertising in the advertising world that you need some kind of tangible figures but no, no, I think it was just like I think I, yeah I just thought it was really great for that reason just to, the fact that it was kind of bringing it back to this is these are just everyday people and often in like the kind of refugee crisis situation that is not viewed as everyday people yeah and exactly. I think it's actually just really important like as the years go by and the media attention isn't so wholly on that it's still just really important to like keep transitioning people's yeah. Yeah. minds and like behaviour that like it's like people, exactly <laughs> bringing them still to the forefront and also celebrating people that I feel really deserve to be celebrated and often in our society right now we're celebrating people that personally I think like why what like why are we watching these like reality TV programs and kind of putting these people in such high regard when actually 
you know, there's, there, yeah, we could rethink who we are kind of upholding as our celebrities, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, I think, but I think yeah, that, that's kind of interesting though, because like I'm, I'm the kind of person that will scroll through, you know, a feed. Or I think Instagram. we all are, yeah. right? And, I, and I'll see something and I'll be moved by it. But I probably won't act, you know. And I think a lot of people will be like that. And I think it's so, like, inspirational to see someone like you that has actually acted, done this thing, and is trying to get me more people, you know, involved to do that. Um, but how, how, do you, how do you then get people to not just look at something when it's in the headlines and to actually keep thinking about it afterwards and try to do something and share it and talk about it? How do you keep that momentum up when it's then this kind of, distraction over here and distraction over there and sometimes we don't want to talk about all this heavy stuff you know like how do you yeah and you're so right in that like you you sometimes people don't have the capacity to kind of take on something that's like sad or difficult or you just you're right you don't want that when you're kind of in bed in the morning or like it's saturday or i don't know and and so there's a few ways i think that i've learned to kind of appeal and well first of all the worldwide tribe messaging is as kind of positive and uplifting as it possibly can be so still nodding to the reality but then really sharing the yeah the the highlighting the kind of beauty in these moments and also the heroicness of these stories and the amazing kind of entrepreneurial you know aspects of people's stories or yeah the the inspiring which you see a lot rather than ever painting anyone as a victim so that is is one way I think of connecting more with people but also to keep things kind of current and fresh that is like always the challenge and I think that a really key way of doing that is to reimagine these stories but still keeping it current to what's happening within the world right now. So whether it's like Valentine's Day, then you know we might share a story, a, a love story from the camp, or whether it's Pancake Day. You know, I just shared a story about Eritrean pancakes because their staple dish is this mad pancake called injera, which is amazing. Yeah, so but yeah, so um, yeah, just things like that that are kind of already on people's radar um, in that time, and then yeah, just using those to kind of tag our message onto them as well. Yeah. What about with like, like I suppose before you started this, I wondered, do you know anyone that was doing anything like this? Um, not really like there's no one that I'm like oh yeah that's aspirational for me in the worldwide tribe to be looking at there are definitely people that you know I admire of course um, in what they're doing but yeah I do think that this the refugee crisis created a response that was unprecedented using social media to fill in the gaps of the governments and the larger NGOs so I definitely think that it was the first time that we've seen a response like this coordinated so beautifully in a grassroots way that people in their own communities could get together, connect through Facebook and respond to something that was, yeah, kind of happening on their doorstep. I guess we also haven't seen this kind of thing happening in Europe since World War II, really, like people arriving on the shores of Lesbos and um, that camp in Calais in the way that it was so yeah not really I don't 
I, that was a hard part of it. I was like, ah, I need some some advice on how to do this, but it hasn't really happened before. Yeah. There's, there's an element of, like, I guess the thing is, you are doing it right now, and there's an element of risk within that. Did you always have like a little kind of fire in your belly or a little something that was like, I'm going to do more than just a normal, like, well, I mean, what's normal, but more than just an everyday job, or I'm going to help people? Like, was that ever something that you, that you remember? You know when you're a kid and you have like these big ideas of like what you want to be and like what you want to do. I think I, I had them, but I, I I definitely didn't expect it to be in this space. I think looking back, I could never have foreseen what the, has happened and the path that I've been on. And again, that's what I kind of talk about a lot in my talks is that. It isn't about you can't plan for you, you can't you can't really plan anything. You just have to have some kind of yeah. You can you can set goals and you can have ideas, um, but actually, I think it's more just about in the everyday trying stuff, doing stuff, going for stuff, and then you, it might be like one thing out of ten things that you do that then becomes that grows that has legs that. You know, just getting out there and actually like doing something, I think, is all that you can have control of. And then, who knows what happens after that? Do you know what I mean? Is it a lot of pressure? Yeah, but mainly I think from myself, um, I put myself under a lot of pressure. At the beginning, I did feel a lot of responsibility. Um, I felt responsibility for the people that I was meeting in the camps um, on behalf of them to like kind of get their their message out there. But I've let that go a bit now and I think that I've got to a point where I'm like, I just do what I believe is right and sometimes I get that wrong and that's okay as well. Um, but yeah, I'm doing my best basically. Yeah. And that's all, I think that's all you can See what you can do. It's just interesting when people like put themselves out there and take a risk. Others really follow and um, ask questions. And I just I'm wondering like sometimes are people coming to you for the answers? I think on social media, I do get a lot of people that I think we do live in a time where we're starting to realise that you know we can do well in our careers, we can kind of do well enough for ourselves financially, we can have the job, the house and like the things that we always have associated with success. But it seems clear now that there's a shift in that that's not enough, right? That like looking after yourself and making sure that you're okay, it's not enough, it's not fulfilling. It's like you need to actually think outside of that and do stuff that isn't about you for other people and maybe it seems obvious or cheesy or but yeah I think that's what I've learned is that we all deep down whether we know it or not have that need to be part of a community and supporting community and um, yeah that whatever time that comes in your life it will come because unless we're all kind of working together then no one's going to reach their potential yeah i really like that idea that you've got your lifetime to kind of give back and your lifetime to kind of give 
uh, I guess, you know, show that there's a period of time in which you will give back. And I think that there's a lot of pressure these days to be like, kind of be doing something charitable on the side of a side project, also to have a really strong career and like do all of these things. So I really like the idea that um, everybody has their own time in mm -hmm. which they can do something meaningful that gives and their back own to the way world. And their own offering, like not everyone is the right person to go and be putting up tents in Calais or like on the shores of Lesbos. Like it might be that you work in advertising and you give a bit of time to a charity or some support to an organisation that needs some advice when it comes to marketing or when it comes to design or whatever it might be. You know, we all have our skills and it's finding how we can use them in a way that could be helping a neighbour or it looks different and unique for everybody so when people do come to me and say like how can I help or what can I do that's a difficult question to answer because for every single person it's it's that's within you to to, to answer you know I, I definitely can't answer that for anybody else I can maybe put some ideas on the table and we can talk it through but yeah we all have a very unique version of what that looks like is it hard to convey that to people because i can imagine there's obviously now with social media there's quite a thin line between you and the people who are reaching out to you so i guess is there a bit of that where people are like what can i yeah do? like give me the answer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want to help like that Let's is help do you know what it is hard because also it doesn't feel good when people want to help and then you don't have necessarily you you can't like a lot of people do say like I want to help and then actually that feels sometimes more of um, a burden than yeah. it does because then you're like okay well now, now or at least this is how I felt at the beginning is I'd be like all these people want to help all these people need help but I need to like figure out a way of making sure that they're helping in yeah but actually what I've done now is I think really reframed that and been like okay well these are some ways these are some options um you know and partnering with people like there's an amazing organization called indigo volunteers who actually place volunteers for free in their right like they ask you what have you got to offer if you're a teacher or if you're a whatever it might be like maybe we need teachers and they work with lots of grassroots organizations around the world who need volunteers basically so instead of trying to take that on board as the worldwide tribe we now work with indigo volunteers so if people actually have time to give they can go to the specialists in that yeah. So there are calls to action and ways that you can get involved after seeing Worldwide Tribe content or reading stuff on the Worldwide Tribe platform or listening to the podcast. But it isn't always, um, what's the word? It's not always kind of rolled out by the Worldwide Tribe. We, we're a network. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's <laughs> great. And in terms of telling these stories or the idea of like being a storyteller, where do you think it can kind of go in the future like do you is that kind of too big to almost think about like too much or do you sort of have thoughts of like where you can kind of try and steer the conversation to continue like keep helping or yeah I, I think that everything that we do is built around stories that stories are the crux of everything and the way that we communicate so I really see the power in that and connecting with people in that way and if you can tell the right stories to the right people then that can really affect change yeah. so for example the previous the last podcast episode that I recorded was with a guy called Lord Alf Dubs mm -hmm. which people keep thinking that I'm like shortening his name calling him like 
Dubs. Oh, Dubs, yeah, just like, um, that is actually his name. Um, and he was talking a lot. He was a child refugee himself during mm. World War II. Um, and he came over from Prague as um, a six-year-old Jewish boy um, to the UK. And he was welcomed into the UK very... At that time, there was like 10,000 kids that came. And he is now, years later, he's like nearly 90, fighting for child refugees, um, fighting for the rights of the kids in Europe now. So basically, with that podcast, the idea is to really amplify this issue for child reunification and children coming to the UK. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in government at the moment when it comes to the EU withdrawal bill and the fact that child refugees and any kind of legislation around supporting them has been kicked out of that bill. It's all very kind of... Uh, political you know, like talk but basically the idea of that podcast is to shed some light on that and encourage people to take an action where where it might be um, messaging, uh, sending a letter to your MP or signing a petition or uh, yeah any of those like various ways that the idea is that the podcast shed some light on it and then actually is it's, it's more than that it's like okay well what can we actually do about this not just get riled up about it and then forget it again yeah. but actually be part of this affecting change yeah and does this relate back to the dubs agreement that was in the news a lot and mm -hmm. I don't know enough about it but I know that the agreement wasn't, wasn't stuck to right exactly so. so Lord Alf Dubs put in this agreement which was actually it was agreed to take at the beginning 3,000 refugee children from the UK uh, into the UK legally um, but with all of our changes in government recently under Theresa May that was scrapped and I think they ended up taking about 300 uh, and yeah basically we've been fighting to get the rest of those children over but now um, the whole Dubs Amendment has been taken out of the EU withdrawal bill so yeah there's basically no promise to support child refugees and there is a kind of lack of awareness and understanding about that at the moment I think so yeah that's one of the things that we've been focusing on um, and also child reunification which is basically if you have your parents in the UK or your parents in Europe that you can be legally reunited sometimes you can get split up along the way you know through smuggling routes or whatever it can happen that you kind of find yourself in a different country from your direct family yeah. and instead of having to then do crazy hiding in the back of lorries or like under trains or whatever to be reunited to actually have a legal process of applying to be reunited that doesn't exist in the UK at the moment so that's something that we're fighting for as well great but through stories definitely yeah. through stories rather than getting too involved in again like the political space is not something that I feel is my area of expertise but it's more about sticking to what I do know which is like telling these stories of people that have family that they're separated from and then using that to encourage people to lobby basically yeah it's, it's oh sorry we both like you go first um, I was just gonna say did anybody ever help you define your role in this process or did you just have to work it out yourself I think it was a mixture so I did a lot of kind of working it out through trial and error there was a lot at the beginning we tried to do everything 
everything and I realized that actually having a niche and being clear about what it is that you do do is really really key so I know that we have become a platform where people can come for information and the, this storytelling element through talks the podcast etc is what we focus on and then we can as I said like partner with other people who have those areas of expertise on the ground but yeah at first we definitely tried to do everything spread ourselves too thin that was a difficult learning process and there have been people along the way like various mentors and yeah people that have kind of come in and, and helped to steer that direction and I've always been open to that I've always been very open to having these conversations listening to people um, trying new things with the direction of the worldwide tribe um, and it's taken many a different form over the years for sure but I think right now like and you said this at the beginning, but yeah, the positivity and the tone that you take when you're watching all this content, it's so inclusive and un understandable and relatable. And even like I was watching a Facebook post on you were reading out some tweets, you know, and even just oh, the having mean tweets. the mean tweets, <laughs> reading out mean tweets. You know? And like, it's just interesting because like I watch that kind of content with on like, you know, in like the stupid kind of things and celebrities reading out mean tweets. And then it's like actually having this proper conversation where we're, we're reading out some mean tweets and we're getting like someone who's been through this process yeah. to actually read what you've said. And it's, yeah, I think it was Desh, just, he did that so good. <laughs> it was good, but it's just, just like, it was such a great way to kind of like, um, take a really maybe toxic conversation that's happening some some place of the internet and and also share it on the internet but make it something that people feel positively about want to engage with and are also learning something from and maybe will change some views it's, it's just yeah it's really great you know that's been a real learning curve as well is dealing with negativity online and yeah turning that around into something that is a watchable piece of content it's really was really empowering because actually you know you can read those mean tweets and get really bogged down by like how can people think like this how can people feel like this and I think things like Brexit have maybe made us feel like that too that there are many people out there that have a very different view from what we might do and actually taking that and using it and turning it into something that is hopefully helpful to the conversation was a really lovely process. I've got a bit of a two-part question for you. Um, why do you think people struggle to connect with the refugee... I don't even want to call it a refugee... Like, what do you call... I feel like the refugee crisis, as a phrase, has been around for such a long time. What do you call? That? Yeah, well, I try. I'm trying to like phase out the word refugee, but you're right. It's difficult because it's what people kind of know. But yeah. really, I'm just trying to amplify the voices of people that have experienced migration and lots of people have right and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a refugee because yeah. refugee is like a specific label to someone that's you know actually applying for asylum or maybe it's that you've been affected by migration in previous generations and most of us can connect with that in a better way um, but I think that, yeah, people do find it difficult to connect because of these words. I do think that they create a barrier that's like none of us ever think that we're going to be a refugee, right? So even people who are 
considered refugees who I meet along the way don't always connect with that term for themselves. It's yeah. quite, yeah, it feels far away, you know? It feels like, oh, that would never be me. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, so why do you think that people kind of struggle to connect with people who have stories of migration like on a long-term basis because it feels like it can kind of like fluctuate inwards and everyone's like shit this is something that we really really need to deal with and then it seems like in the long term like it's really really hard for people to almost stay engaged with that because there's not a, a clear solution that I, I think people like the idea that like okay that's a problem and this is what we can do but the refugee crisis doesn't have that because we've been experiencing really just the tip of the iceberg. This is going to grow, that people are going to be moving forever more and that because of climate change and things that are happening environmentally, there will we will see an increase in this. But yeah, there's not a clear solution and an answer. So I think that makes it hard for people to really connect um, on a long-term basis because, yeah, it's difficult when we feel like what can we really, really do? Yeah, that, yeah. I think you're, you're spot on, really. And I think we're all kind of still adjusting to the idea that maybe that's the reality, that things are going to be in quite a constant change of flux and like things, our communities and societies will change on like such a huge, huge level. Um, the other part of that that I kind of wanted to touch on was how do you kind of... How do you personally keep finding hope and positivity in a world that is regularly ignoring like the plight of the people that you're trying to help because I really admire that (laughs) in you and knowing you on a personal level and I just think how yeah how Mm. yeah I I just feel like there's no other way we have to we have to and it is there as well and the people that I meet I'm constantly inspired and uplifted by stories that I hear and people like my little brother who to give a little bit more context to his journey he left Eritrea when he was 12 and he was fleeing compulsory military service and he went on to cross the world in the most crazy way the Sahara the Mediterranean all of those things that you see in the news and yeah his positivity and like a zest for life and outlook on life it makes you feel like okay you know the human spirit is incredible that you can take anything away when it comes to kind of physical stuff but you can't take away that want that hope that want for better that want for more um and that there i draw it all from those people i can't take um credit for having that myself because yeah it's the people that i meet that definitely feed me full of that feeling well, thanks for sharing it. I feel like that's <laughs> I know, um, right? If you don't feel like you create it, thanks for sharing it because I guess that you then uh, act like a vehicle to then share that with other people and give other people a bit more sort of fight to kind of keep. Yeah, spread it out. Spread, spread the word <laughs> of that kind of thing. because I've been thinking every year I have like a bit of a word or a theme for how my what I feel is like really necessary in that year so for example it might be um, 
Well, this year, my theme is learning, okay? So, uh, whereas in the past, it might be that I've wanted to kind of slow things down and give more time to myself. This year, I really feel like I want to expand my brain. That I'm in, I feel like I haven't since I've been at school, really, or at university, been in like a real space of learning. And I just have this craving to, yeah, add some new knowledge into my brain, basically. So, what I've been thinking about is that, especially when you're, well, not necessarily just in the creative industry, in all industries, we often put ourselves or other people into a box, right? That we're like, okay, this person does this. And I notice it if people are writing articles about me or they want a bio, for example, they want me to be able to define what I do or who I am in a very small space. It's like, okay, so you do this, you're in marketing, you're in design, like this is, but actually, I want to have multiple strings to what I'm doing and to that bow to be learning something that maybe doesn't relate. Maybe I want to learn, I don't know, to speak Spanish or about nutrition. Or, and actually it's okay to kind of pick those things that are outside of your immediate, it doesn't have to make sense that you can kind of be, have like, all of these elements to you as a complicated human being and who knows how they will develop in the future and that's the kind of space that I feel in at the moment that yeah I almost want to go off on like a complete tangent but actually I think that it will come back and relate to this thing that I'm creating because it's a, a kind of extension of totally yeah you I don't want to have to kind of define it in one or two lines but yeah there's a lot more to all of us that we're so kind of complicated and complex and we put ourselves in our own boxes it's like you can think oh I've never been good at numbers but actually with the worldwide tribe I've had to learn to be because I'm managing all of the accounts and working out you know logistics and money for trips and expenses and things so you have to and we're all capable of, of learning of, of finding out we've got all this information at our fingertips so yeah, yeah let's use it I mean I'm just feeling in that space at the That's moment great. So, I like it. I yeah I want to do a course or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So in the spirit of learning, what do you think um, you've learned most about yourself since this process of the Worldwide Tribe and this community that you've created since it began? Oh, good, very good question. I've learned a lot about myself. Um, it's been a real, yeah, I think putting yourself out there kind of above the parapet you do get a lot of positivity but also negativity especially on social media and that has been very reflective um, over the years I've had to kind of really look inwards and be like why am I why am I doing this Beyond, below all of the layers obviously on the surface it's obvious you know there is a need here yeah. and it is unjust the situation for refugees and, and it's very clear that like there is a need but beyond that I've worked deeper and been like okay but why why do I have this intense calling to this specific issue and yeah I've done a lot of work around that a lot of self-work so yeah I would say there's like endless things that I've, I've learned along the way and in, in any kind of venture that you do it's, it's great to find that learning because it's there in everything the good and the bad right 
Thank you for listening to What a Way to Make a Living. And thank you to Jazz. We're so grateful and have learned so much. We'll put links in the show notes to where you can learn more about the Worldwide Tribe, listen to her podcast, and watch her TEDx talk. We want to hear from you. Who would you like to hear from? What would you like us to ask people about? Follow us on Instagram at waterwaypodcast or send us an email, waterwaytomakeapodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Fanes. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Then it comes to you.